Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. It's so exciting to see that because I had one little girl that was at my biddy ball session every Monday that actually ended up coming to like all that second half of the season games just to see Coach Amy. (laughs) And it's like little things like that. You don't think you're making like a difference and it's like they are just in their eyes. It's amazing to them. In this episode, we're joined by Perth local Amy Atwell, and we get a great insight into the Perth Link sharpshooter, who's currently one of the top three WNBL three-point shooters for the season, just behind former teammate Sammy Whitcomb. Given a license to shoot by Coach Petrick, Amy fits in well with the Link's fast and furious tempo and has confidence that defies her age in only her second WNBL season. Her formative college years at the University of Hawaii helped shape her fearless game and her lead-by-example approach inspires teammates, fans and the grassroots community alike. Amy was part of the 28-0 undefeated NBL1 champions, the Bendigo Braves. She shares more on that journey and dealing with the mounting pressure of that unprecedented Nationals run. All valuable experience for what's shaping to be a tight WNBL season. We're grateful to speak with Amy about this whirlwind 18 months that includes a taste of the WNBA. And despite getting waved from the LA Sparks, she knows, in her words, getting back there is something that will just take care of itself if I keep improving my game and keep playing well. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, my co-host Jacinta Govind and... Today, we've got a fantastic guest joining us from all the way over in Perth is Amy Atwell. Amy, welcome to the show. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> it's, it's actually one that we've been looking forward to for a while. Don't you think, Jacinta? Yeah, I just remembered I should probably be wearing my signed Amy Atwell singlet that a very kind STB listener <laughs> sent me in the mail. But uh, it's not video, so, you know, I think the effect will be lost given it's only audio. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so just to get into things, it's been a pretty big 12, 18 months for you, you know, WNBL, WNBA, Opal's debut, the perfect season with the Bendigo Braves, um, and all of that coming after, you know, the University of Hawaii. Have you ever just actually stopped and kind of taken a, a check step just for a second and looked back at all of that and gone, wow, or how does that make you feel when you kind of think about that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of been definitely a surreal past 18 months, and I think that's kind of the pleasure of basketball is there's no kind of chance to stop and reflect until you're done almost because you just, especially women's basketball, you go season to season, it's kind of on to the next thing. and. Um, there's no real time to stop and kind of take a deep breath and, and look at what you've achieved. And I think most girls are the same way I am where it's like 
tick one box off and kind of on to the next. Like, obviously, I got my feet wet a little bit in the WNBA, but, like, wasn't satisfied to, like, want to get back there kind of thing. And, like, yeah, on to the next season, like, chasing a WNBA championship this year continue ticking boxes kind of thing but yeah when when I do kind of sit and try reflect as much as I can it is like it's crazy to think about <laughs> and and I would just want to ask a little bit about the college experience because we, we tend to ask people who've been to college about what the experience was like and how did you find it you know going from Perth to Hawaii and playing college ball there yeah I loved it I spent six years at the University of Hawaii with a red shirt year and then COVID and would have stayed longer if I had more eligibility. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I loved it. Obviously, it was a huge adjustment when I first went over for as a freshly turned 18-year-old and kind of moved over there with starting fresh kind of thing. And, obviously, it was a big jump, and most girls that have gone to college know how hard it is those first few months going over there and kind of starting fresh with no friends, no family over there. And definitely a huge adjustment, but something I'm super grateful for and I think definitely helped me grow into the person I am today. Did you have any um, Aussies at University of Hawaii with you to kind of welcome you in your freshman year? Uh, yeah, so not any in the team. There was one, Ashley Caratiana was there, graduated the year before I got there, um, so I knew her a little bit. But I actually went in with Courtney Metup, a fellow Aussie, went in with her, and then Mackenzie, who I play with now at the Lynx, came in the year after me. So I, me and Mac could go way back, but um, I came in freshman year with Courtney. Um, so we were kind of able to help each other with that process of moving to a new country and all that stuff. That explains why there's uh, so much quality Amy and Macca content on the Perth Lynx social media pages because your playing relationship and friendship runs deep all the way back to college. Oh, yeah, it actually runs back before even then so we're the same age we grew up playing against each other all through juniors she played for Bombay, i played for williton and we had a bit of a rivalry back when we were growing up just because she was one of the better girls on the country state teams and i obviously always made the wa metro team so growing up actually we were a bit i wouldn't say we didn't like each other but like just naturally competitiveness like we were opposition so it's like we weren't friends and then obviously I got to Hawaii and she rocked up the next year and it was like, oh, wait, we're actually friends. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it kind of started there. We, I've known her for ages, but I guess our friendship really started to blossom in Hawaii and then, yeah, we've been besties ever since. Wow, that's really, really cool. And then uh, you both have a chance now to come back home and play for the Perth Lynx in your home state in front of your family and friends. Yeah, no, it is awesome. It's kind of a full circle moment for the both of us. Yeah, I think that's what Perth do really well, actually. They do a good job of finding local talent and being able to keep them and keep them on that pathway, even if it's via college, of um, getting them back to play for their home WNBL team. I mean, even Chloe Forster, uh, she had you know a great season last year with the Warwick Senators when they went on to win the inaugural NBL One Nationals title. Uh, and it's great that that then turned into a, a Lynx contract now. Yeah, definitely. I think that is something the Lynx are really good at, and especially with Basketball WA being the owner of the Lynx. It's something they have really pushed and are trying to push with the, the pathway coming through. Um, and Chloe is a prime example of that, coming through as a training player, development player, and now a full roster position. Um, and then obviously and me and Mackenzie took different paths as well. But, yeah, they really try to keep the, the homegrown talent at home. And just uh, you talked about your adjustments of getting uh, your first 
year at University of Hawaii. We've talked to some other existing WNBL athletes like Keely Froling about their college experience and she admittedly didn't like it and I've heard other people, you know, have their ups and downs. But in terms of the on-court stuff, what were some of the biggest adjustments between playing at a high level here versus your freshman year at college? Yeah, well, I actually went into college with a torn ACL, so I didn't play my freshman year. So I think my experience was a lot different from a lot of other Aussies going over there that are kind of just thrown in the deep end of welcome to freshman year, welcome to four-hour trainings every day, every week. I was obviously rehabbing my knee and didn't play at all my freshman year, so I was able to kind of um, get my feet wet a little bit without being thrown into the deep end and work my way up through, see how the other girls were doing it, and really learn before I was just thrown in. So my experience was a little bit different, and I think by the time my second year came around and I did hit the court, I was a lot more prepared for it. And I mean, you had a lot of success at, at NCAA level with the University of Hawaii. What sort of confidence does that give you as a player at that level and having success? And what was it like being in that big West conference? Yeah, I mean, definitely something I take confidence from. And I think my last couple of years at the University of Hawaii, I definitely came into my own and became a lot better basketball player um, and definitely take confidence from that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I think it also was a pretty decent jump between like the college level and the professional level, even WNBL. Um, so I definitely think it, it helped prepare me. But then once you get to the pros, it's like another another jump in that and it's another like, whoa, okay, take another step. But, yeah, definitely helped prepare me and definitely gave me confidence. But also there was a big jump there still. I don't think people realise, like on paper, the pathway between, you know, juniors, state team, college, pro, it's so easy on paper, but in reality and on court, it is a, a massive jump. And something that I remember is just the level of fitness, not just uh, game fitness and how long you can, you know, survive in a, a game, but just the fitness of being able to like be quicker what were some of those kind of gaps that you found you needed to fill when you jumped, say, from being top age state WA to college and then even college and your taste with the LA Sparks? I think going from state teams to college is definitely the physical, like you said, the physicality and the fitness and the, the athleticism. It's just like you get to college and you have, you lift a four or five times a week and you have agility and conditioning sessions on top of that because it's like, the level of expectation at college is also that much higher as well. And at that point, it's like you're studying, but you just have all your time is put into either class and when you're not studying and in school, it's like basketball, basketball, basketball. So I think that jump people don't quite understand because it's just like it's basketball in school and nothing else. <laughs> um, and then again, when you go from college to when I went from Hawaii to the LA Sparks, it was a huge shock to the system, even that two weeks of training camp just the the athleticism of those girls and the strength and just like the conditioning of those girls was like out of this world. My first week, my first like three days of training camp, I remember I, I think it was like after the third day I got back to the hotel and my legs were just gone. I was like, I don't know if I can do this for another week and a half. Like trying to keep up with the girls, even in training camp, the constant hitting, the constant like everything. I was just like, this is I expected it to be a lot more intense, of course, but I was like, this is just on a whole new level. But obviously something you learn to adjust to and like exposes areas of your game that you need to work on. But yeah, 
wasn't expecting it to be that drastic, I guess. <laughs> Almost feels physically impossible to a point. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Some of those girls over there are just freak athletes too, like just can jump out of the gym are so, so quick. Um, obviously not everyone's going to have that level of athleticism, but like there is those things like fitness, conditioning, all that stuff. That's all kind of controllable by you and things you can work on and stuff like that. But, yes, it's insane. Before we kind of get into the WNBL, where, you know, you've been having a great season this season, you had that Bendigo Braves perfect season in the NBL 1. Tell us a bit about that because it's such a difficult thing to achieve and you guys, you guys did it. What's it like? Yeah, 28 no is pretty special. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely not what I expected going in. Like, obviously, you go in to a season wanting – end goal is winning a championship. But, yeah, at no point was I like, yeah, we're going to go through undefeated. Like, that's just not heard of. And I think it's just a testament to, like, the special group of girls we had and obviously Mark, the great coach, and the great club we had behind us and all the sports stuff that kind of allowed us to do that. But, yeah, it was special for sure. And what was some of the – because I watched the grand final of Nationals where you played against Norse Bears, being NBL One East represent. And I think, like, it looked like a fairly challenging game up until you just obliterated them in the third quarter and there was no coming back from it. Um, look, <laughs> stats are stats, you know. I'm not being subjective. That's just what happened. But um, what were some of the other hurdles that season where you thought, oh, you know, this was a real test and then those tests ended up, uh, I guess, ultimately helping you go undefeated because if you're not tested, they're not going to get any better, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, I definitely think we had our challenges through the season. I missed a handful of games. We had a few other girls miss some games. So, like, to be able to still get those wins with like pieces missing and have everybody else um, step up was really awesome to see. And I think towards the end of the season, especially going into finals, the biggest kind of challenge for us was just like the pressure of being undefeated almost. Cause it was like, we've gone through the whole regular season undefeated. And I feel like the stigma with that with a lot of teams is like you go undefeated and then you lose the first round of finals or you lose the important one or you lose the semifinal, you lose the championship so I think we we had external pressure, but also a lot of pressure we put on ourselves in the fact that, like, we wanted to win so badly. And I know for the girls that were there last year, they lost the grand final to Ringwood or, or whoever it was and just had that pressure of wanting to win so badly that, yeah, it just we just had that kind of undefeated pressure on us. And I think being able to come out of that and win the South Championship and then go on to the national finals, I think in the national finals, I think if you ask any of us girls, and I don't know what it looks from the outside, but we felt like we were just playing so much more free just because I think we had ticked that box that so many of the girls the year before wanted so badly. And then the national finals, we just came out and was like, well, this is just a little bit of bonus. Like, Let's just go have fun. And just were able to play with so much more freedom. Yeah, it certainly looked like it. Yeah. I can imagine, especially I think it was your semifinal in the NBL One South competition. That was played yeah. like a grand final. Like that was really, really touch and go. So once you were over that hurdle, hopefully you had the confidence that you could win the chip. But I felt like that's a really good point. You definitely felt like you were playing with a lot more freedom at nationals. And honestly, there were some plays between particularly yourself and 
Megan McKay in that Nationals Grand Final where you could throw anything at her and she caught it. Like she would have a swarm of people around her and their arms in the right spot, but wherever you threw it, she just caught it. And I don't think that generally happens until you are in that that state of playing with freedom. Yeah, definitely. She was incredible. I can't speak highly enough of her. And, I, yeah, she was unbelievable that whole season. And, and then for her to cap it off like that in the national final was so good to see. Um, and for her to get all the accolades she deserved was um, amazing to see. I want to talk about a bit of culture shock because you went from Perth to Hawaii, which would have been a a bit different, and then you went to a regional town like Bendigo, which is very different again. You know, so I want to ask how you found playing in a smaller centre with a strong basketball community. But before I do, I want to play a clip from our previous podcast with Cassidy McLean, where she talks about the community as well and to get your opinion on that also. Particularly for us, we do a really good job in the community and a few of us are outsiders originally, like I'm not from Bendigo, I've been here for six years now, but there's a few of us from out of town, like Amy Atwell in our championship winning NBL1 team from Perth, no one had really seen her before in Bendigo and now she's so many people's favourite player and she did so much out in the community And, and if people just see us and they see us out at schools or doing programs running clinics, everything, they want to come support us. So I would find it really hard for teams if they didn't get out in the community to actually be able to get people to come support them. So, yeah, I think we do a really good job of that and we're definitely going to capitalise on our recent success going into next year. Going to run it back for 2024. Okay, you've heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... You know, obviously there's a lot that goes on in, a, in in such a small basketball community with such a strong fan base, but how did you find it? You've gone from, you know, Perth, a big city, to Hawaii, to Honolulu, a big city, and then to Bendigo and with a really, you know, supportive basketball community. I loved Bendigo, and obviously it is a bit different from Perth and Hawaii where I've uh, played and lived before, but for me the original decision was, like, based out of, just the pure resources and stuff that Bendigo had to offer me. And like, I really wanted to develop my game this last off season and kind of just focus on basketball. And I thought Bendigo was the perfect place to do that. And then obviously when I got there, it was just like, yeah, I was immersed by the community and like, we do a lot of stuff as Cass mentioned with school clinics, bitty ball and Aussie hoops. Like we're always in the stadium around helping little kids coaching. It's so exciting to see that. Cause I had one little girl that, it was at my biddy ball session every Monday that actually ended up coming to like all that second half of the season games just to see coach Amy. <laughs> and it's like little things like that. You don't think you're making like a difference and it's like, they are just in their eyes. It's amazing to them kind of thing. And like, I remember being that little girl when I was seven or eight, first picking up a basketball and I would go to, it was SBL back then, which is now the NBL on West, going to the Willison SBL games thinking like, oh my God, like they're so cool. Like I want to be, I want, I want to do that one day. And to be on the other end of that is super rewarding and it's an awesome feeling. And yeah, the community of Bendigo just welcomed me with open arms and made me feel at home from the second I got there. I mean, I've been to to Bendigo and seen a couple of WNBL games there, and it seems to me that the whole community really rallies around the teams. 
you know, both the Braves and it, it just seems to be a strong connection. And what's that like, you know, as, as a player, seeing that sort of connection between fan base and team? Yeah, definitely. It's an awesome feeling. Obviously, we play basketball to win championships and all these other sorts of things, but at the end of the day, having that difference on, like, the next generation and the little girls coming through is the most rewarding part of it all. And, like, to see that connection between all the fans um, and that they genuinely care. I think it was after that, the semifinal game against Mount Gamma that you mentioned earlier, Jacinta, like, after we won that game, the final siren went off and all these little kids just stormed the court and, like, swarmed us. <laughs> and it was one of the most unreal games I've been a part of, just purely because of the raw emotion and everything from the fans and, like, the genuine care um, and support that you feel from them day in, day out. It's, yeah, it's an unreal feeling. And had you, I guess, because um, you'd already had a season with Perth as well, so maybe it's some similarities to Perth to Bendigo, but just having that immediate access to fans... Was that something that you were used to by the time you got to Bendigo? Yes, for the most part. And I think the one thing at the University of Hawaii too that where that separated us from a lot of other colleges is because we were the only there's no professional sporting teams in Hawaii. So like the University of Hawaii sports was like Hawaii's version of professional sporting teams. So like they also really got behind it and we did a lot of uh, school clinics and basketball clinics with the fans and the community so like it almost started there for me just having that kind of connection to younger girls and the fans it's kind of started there and it's carried on and and Bendigo just yeah topped it all off well talking about Perth let's talk about this season for a bit you know you, you're playing for your hometown team I'd like to get your ideas on how important you think it is for people from WA and, and Perth to see locals playing at WNBL level? Yeah, I think it's super important. I think to try and keep the local talent home is the most important thing ever. I grew up going, it was the West Coast Waves when I was growing up, and I used to go to a few of their, their games with my teammates, and like we used to wait outside like the little doors where they come out from the change room for the players. And it was kind of a similar thing to the, the Willis and SBL thing is like I looked up to those girls so much. I was like, I want to play there one day. I want to I want to be that. And just having the ability to keep Perth girls home and like WA girls here in Perth playing for the Lynx makes it that much easier and that much important to like engage with the community. And it makes it easier for the fans to like get behind us and support us and that kind of stuff. Who was your favourite West Coast Waves player when you were a kid? Oh, Jesus. Um, <laughs> I loved watching Mel Marsh. There was a few others that were in and out, but I think Mel Marsh was there for most of my time growing up and she was a Willow girl as well. Yeah. She's probably the one that I remember as well from that era. Yeah. Okay. There's a team. You guys are a lot younger and it's, there's been a lot of roster changes and you guys are still sitting in fourth on the ladder. And there's three teams on the same win loss record. There's yourselves, the boomers, and Southside, what's your thoughts on how the teams got there? Because, you know, generally teams that have a lot of roster changes and don't necessarily gel and fire as well as you guys seem to have been in this season so far. I think there's been a lot of roster changes for a lot of teams throughout the league this year. I think a lot of teams are still trying to find their feet and gel together. I think a big part of what helped us was we had a huge chunk of our preseason where we were all there. I think every single one of us was there for the majority of the six to seven weeks. Aerie came a few weeks late because of WNBA commitments. But other than that, like 
everyone was there and there's nothing that can help gelling and chemistry apart from like literally purely playing and training together and being around each other so I really think our preseason was super solid in, and a great foundation in the fact that we were all participating luckily we didn't have many injuries or many girls sitting out for very long uh, we went and played that Brisbane tournament so we could get a couple games under our belt as such a new team that stuff all helps all that but I also think another very important piece of it was Ryan went out and recruited pieces he knew would fit in our system and the way he coaches I guess so yeah I mixed a lot of things but yeah we have gelled very well yeah remarkably well I was also going to ask about how you cultivate such a strong positive culture in such a short period of time with a bunch of new people but you made a good point that everyone was back I think you're probably one of the teams maybe next to Townsville perhaps that probably had most of your roster at preseason for nearly the whole preseason period I mean even Aerie was able to play at that Brisbane tournament right yeah, yeah. Um, so that was really lucky because I know that some other teams, you know, having to rely on DPs and things like that with injuries and people still coming back into the fold. And tell us a little bit more about what do you feel like your coach Ryan Patrick looks for when you talked about he, he really did a good job recruiting the missing pieces for your system. What do you think are the key things that he would look for in a player to be part of his system? Other than three points. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, three point shooting, <laughs> three point shooting and running and sprinting. <laughs> um, nah, definitely. I think, yeah, I mean, I would love to actually pick his brain about that, to be honest, because I, I don't completely know the answers. But obviously we all know Ryan has a very particular play style and it is run and gun. We want to play as fast as we can and we want to shoot a lot of threes. <laughs> um, we want to play in transition. So going and getting someone like Maylee who just rebounds and runs so well and pushes the pace so well and rebounds the absolute heck out of the ball was a great piece. Obviously, Airy, Jet Quick Point Guard, um, that can create for herself and others is another great piece that works in that running game. Um, and I think outside of the like on-court strengths and characteristics like that, I think off the court, he's just gone and recruited great people, I guess. And like a lot of the girls that have come in and fit in are just like pleasures to be around and we're, we're all having fun and we're all, we all love hanging out and spending time with each other. And yeah, not that it ever hasn't been like that. I've most of the teams I've been a part of have, have been that way as well. I guess we've just clicked this year for some reason and hats off to Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're just a real run and gun team. And even going back when you mentioned Maylee, she definitely can run the floor, obviously gets on all the loose balls, but I think sometimes it's her energy, like getting on loose balls, that if you guys are in a little bit of a rut, that's something that's going to pick up the uh, the vibe of the team. Yeah, definitely. I think every team needs that kind of player that's just going to work her backside off every time she steps on the court. Um, you know exactly what you're going to get from her in terms of that hustle, and she is going to go after every loose ball and every rebound, and she's going to be diving all over the floor and putting the towel, the floor wipers to use. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, definitely having someone like that naturally boosts the energy and the, yeah, just the energy of everybody else on court with them. I mean, like we mentioned, you're either running or you're shooting a three. Were you always naturally a three-point shooter or was that something you developed at college and uh, now just happened to luckily find a coach that's given you a licence to shoot some threes? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's developed. I could shoot pretty well before going to college. I wouldn't say it was as much of I wasn't a shooter-shooter, but when I was super young, I used to just be heavy right-hand driver, like head down, 
tail up. That's all, that's all I'm doing. And it was actually my under-16s coach, I want to say, or maybe 18s, that was like, he was the first one that was like, hey, you should look at going to college. But like, also, if you're going to do that and you want to really make this basketball thing into something, like you're going to have to develop a good outside shot, a consistent one at least. So after that, I kind of was like, okay, yep, put the work in. My mom went down with me to Wesley College every Saturday morning and and uh, rebounded for me. <laughs> um, and then it was actually all my knee injuries that kind of almost forced me to become a great shooter. <laughs> so when I first got to college, all I could do for a while was I wasn't even cleared to run when I first got there. So all I could do for a while was literally stationary shoot. So I became best friends with the, the shooting gun machine and was on that most days. And then even when I came back from my ACL, I had another few knee meniscus surgeries in my second year so my first two years at college were super like low didn't play a whole bunch but literally was just shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and then after that it was okay well this is who I am now (laughs) this is this is my strength this is my go-to and then yes since ever since then I've just been a three-point shooter when you were drafted by the LA Sparks right and let me say I think they made a big mistake waving you after four games. Thank you. <laughs> I'm curious, once you're sort of like really into the WNBA and, and not camp, mm-hmm. how did you how did you find that? And, and what's it like the first time you stepped out for the game one? What was it like? Yeah, it was unreal. Game one was in Chicago um, against – they had just won it the year before, so against defending champs in Chicago, and I actually started – so I walked down to the court and shook hands with Candace Parker and was like, oh, wow, I'm here. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it was definitely a pinch me moment, something I will kind of never forget. And it was it was just crazy because, like, even after that first game, we started that season with a four-game road trip, four cities in ten days. So it was like we went to Chicago and then it was like Atlanta, Connecticut and somewhere else. And I was like, oh, wow, it was like play fly play fly play fly like every second day and it was just insane just that in itself um how it all works over there stepping on court with pandas parker diana tarossi i was just like wow did not expect to be here like this is definitely a pinch me moment and something i won't ever forget or take for granted did you have to repress a little bit of fangirl and remember that you're there to do a job (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit i was i just remember thinking like what I I am not supposed to be here kind of thing like this, like not in a didn't believe in myself way, just in a like I would not have like would never have guessed this. Um, And, yeah, it was definitely like, a okay, like I'm still here to do a job. I I got a spot to keep still. And (laughs) but, yeah, it's weird when you watch people growing up and you see them from afar and on TV and you idolize them and then you stand next to them and it's kind of like you just have to kind of make sure that they're real or like there's something weird about seeing them in person for the first time that doesn't match the image you've created in your mind. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, it's a very weird feeling. Yeah. (laughs) And just uh, as you mentioned, you did four cities in 10 days at the WNBA. Maybe someone just needs to kindly remind DJ Vasevich that uh, his road trip, his schedule with the 36ers really isn't that bad. (laughs) <laughs> considering you went across America to four cities in 10 days and playing. So it wasn't just like a cake war. No, yeah, I, that's that's funny. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I just thought just to uh, take the opportunity to poke a stab at DJ having a lunch. Yeah. yeah no, I, I don't think I read the article, so I don't know all the details, but um, yeah, I think, he, I think he copped a lot of heat for what he said. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I was really curious about. When you step out on a WNBA game, what's it like, you know, the, the crowd reaction? Because they've got big crowds. Uh, and I'm really curious, what's it feel like when you kind of walk out there and you look around and there's this ocean of people? Well, I'll tell you what, the, the lights are really bright and it's just, especially that Chicago Stadium, I remember looking up and like big stadium packed out and like all I could see was bright lights shining down the court. And obviously you hear them and you see big patches of people, but it's, I think it's more so intimidating because like the court is so lit and like the stands obviously are, are darkened and there's not a whole bunch of lighting over there. So you can't really see a whole bunch in the crowd at some of those stadiums. So it's more just like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's like, yeah, your all eyes are on you and you just feel very, I don't know. Yeah, all, all eyes are on you. <laughs> but at the same time, it does create an awesome and unreal atmosphere. And I think once you get used to it, it's, yeah, it's probably something really special. And what's um what's game day like in WNBA? Is it much different from a WNBL game day? I know that uh, we're starting to adopt the, the game fit you know, pictures down the corridor, which we all like. But um, in terms of, like, atmosphere or banter in the locker room at a WNBA game, I imagine it can be a little bit more serious and, and tense, but I could be completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, I would say in terms of, uh, like, logistics-wise, it's pretty similar. Like, I had a pretty similar routine over there too, but definitely once you get in that locker room before the game, it's serious time it's especially here I mean I've been at Perth the last two years obviously I haven't played for any other club but it's pretty like light-hearted and and fun in the locker room and everyone's kind of joking around playing music but over there it's very much like headphones in like you're doing your own thing you're prepping for the game and stuff like that and if that's not your if that's not someone's like way to get ready like if someone needs to be social and upbeat and have music and whatever else to manage some nerves I that would be pretty hard to deal with that would almost make you more stressful yeah exactly and obviously I was only there I was only with the Sparks in the first chunk of the season and and don't know much about what any of the other teams are doing but yeah I I kind of felt that way a little bit too I just felt very like oh like this is very serious and I just no laughing, no smiling. We're here to get a job done. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I loved every second of it. I'm curious. Did you feel like there was, like, there's an expectation that goes with the team that you're playing for? Like, you know, there's, there's fan expectation on, on the Sparks because they come from a big market team, you know, Los Angeles, you and, the, and, and other members of the team. Did you guys feel that sort of pressure or it wasn't a big thing? I can't really speak for a lot of the other girls, but I feel like especially with the LA Sparks, there was naturally that pressure on just such a big organisation. As a WNBA club, obviously the WNBA doesn't have a huge history, but it had been one of the more successful clubs in the league. And obviously playing out of Crypto.com Arena now it is, um, and like associated with the Lakers to a certain extent, it is just kind of fans do expect that yeah, I guess just winning and that, that culture and a, and a great franchise. And I think especially the year I was there, we had a really rough start to the season. And I think 
both coaching staff and players felt that a lot just because of that expectation from the fans and the community, yeah. It was a very tumultuous time for the Sparks when you entered. And naturally with people being drafted, even if you're the, in the top five draft picks, your contract isn't guaranteed. Like we've seen, unfortunately, in the last couple of years, how many top draft picks end up being cut within the first two weeks. So what was running through your head when you went from training camp and not having any legs by day three and then making the starting five and then having all that turbulence around you at the club level and ultimately having to end your time there? Like how do you even manage that mentally? Yeah, I mean, as you said, especially in the WNBA, like no contract is guaranteed. And I think it was during the first week of training camp, the sixth or seventh overall pick in my draft was cut and we were all like oh my god like what and I'm sitting here like I'm the 27th pick there's no way I'm making it through (laughs) um no but I think what helped me my mindset especially going into training camp was nobody even expected me to get drafted kind of thing so it was like I'm theoretically not even meant to be here like I'm just gonna throw everything I have at it and see what happens like no matter what happens from here on out like I'm not gonna be disappointed because I've kind of already exceeded in that moment what I expected and I think that mindset really helped me kind of just play as loose and freely as I could and perform throughout training camp and those preseason games because I was just like well I got nothing to lose here kind of thing I was the, the last draft pick for the Sparks at the camp too so it was like there was three other girls that were picked ahead of me so yeah I just kind of really used that mindset which really helped me in the end and then obviously I uh, got through the training camp made the final roster for opening night and then uh, it's a cutthroat business. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, Christy Tolliver was coming back from coaching with the Mavs. So, someone unfortunately had to get cut, and I wasn't playing or performing at the time. So, it was me. But I was just super grateful to have had that experience in the first place. And obviously, was definitely upset when I got the news. But at the same time, it was like, okay, like, what's next? Like, I want to get back here. What can I do? Kind of thing. So definitely a whirlwind of emotions over that month or two or however long the span was of the highs of getting drafted, the lows of getting cut and kind of seeing that dream ended. But, yeah, just using it as motivation to get back. What were some of their parting words to you or advice that they gave um, for you to help you get you back to the WNBA? Yeah, so I actually was released on the same day as the head coach was fired (laughs) so it was a bit of a mess um so I actually didn't get I got the call from one of the assistant coaches so probably didn't get as much information as I would have loved or I didn't even ask the questions either because I was so just wrapped up in the I've been released oh my god um but yeah they had pretty much just told me that there needed to be room for Christy I didn't get a whole bunch of feedback from them And it was just, I think, a mix between obviously the head coach getting let go and like the poor start to the season they had. And there was a lot of pressure on a lot of people in the organization. So, yeah, I actually didn't get much feedback when I left the team at all. But I kind of knew what I had to work on and what I needed to do to get back there. Like I got a taste of it, got a taste of that level, got a feel for the level and like where I need to be at. So, yeah. Well, if it was the Hunger Games of WNBA drafts, you still won because you were the last one standing. <laughs> True. Thanks. Yeah. So, I mean, you want to get back there. So what's your plan? Yeah, good question. Um, <laughs> nah, uh, yeah, definitely want to get back there. Obviously, that's a goal of mine. I don't really have anything I'm putting in place to get there, though. I have a 
Right now, my focus is on the WNBL season. And getting back there is kind of something that will just take care of itself if I keep improving my game and keep playing well kind of thing. And So, yeah, right now, my focus is on winning every WNBL game I can, putting my best foot forward and doing my best to help Perth get as far as we can this season. And, yeah, keep improving my game. I, I'm working with obviously the links and add some other coaches and stuff on my strength coach, all that stuff on getting myself physically stronger, fitter, faster than ever. And then obviously the skill development, but yeah, right now just focusing on WNBL. You've had a lot of international experience recently as well. You know, Opals and the Gangurus. Do you think that your performances there and, and being able to have that international profile is going to help you, you know, open that door a little bit more? Yeah, definitely. I think the more I can put myself out there and um, kind of step up into those roles and get those opportunities, the better. I think all that representing Australia, 3x3, the Opal stuff, is just going to help me more and more, regardless of, I guess, how much court time or how much I'm playing, just being in that environment and soaking in from plays like Test Madgen and stuff like that and just kind of soaking in that knowledge and learning everything I possibly can from them is, is yeah, only going to help me. Because did you play as an Australian junior? Like, did you go to COE or make under-17 or under-19 teams? Uh, no, I didn't. I wasn't really involved with any Australian stuff growing up. I was in uh, state teams, but, um, no, never quite cracked the Australian teams or anything like that. Yeah, I didn't think so. And I only make a point of it because I feel like it's a lot easier to crack into the, you know, the Gangaroos or Opals or, or at least be in the conversation once you get into senior level, if you've already been to COE or junior teams because you're really familiar. So the fact that you've cracked both of those teams and played for Australia without having that prior experience of being an Australian junior, I think even that's an achievement in itself. Yeah. No, well, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. I mean, I had a super strong age group growing up. I mean, it's always an honour and to be recognised in any way like that is just, yeah, something I take huge honour in. Talking about 3x3, how much 3x3 did you play before you joined the Gangaroos? Oh, absolutely none. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even know. So I got invited to camp in, I think it was March of this year, um, earlier this year, and I was, like, asking Sherfy and stuff about the rules and, like, Googling the rules of it. Because, like, I had <laughs> one of my college uh, teammates' boyfriends actually started playing and like I had watched a few of his games and like knew a bit about it just from like other people playing but yeah I had actually never played myself. Wow. Sherfy say when you're like oh can you teach me the rules? <laughs> <laughs> well it actually wasn't that bad because Chloe Bibby was on the same page as me she got invited to camp we were both kind of like I don't actually know all the rules. <laughs> Sherfy had a good laugh but it wasn't as bad because we were both like yeah you're gonna have to sit down with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps it's not just as big of a thing in America. It doesn't seem like it's as big of a thing over there as it is in the rest of the world. Yeah, well, I think it's uh, one of those sports that's, like, been super up and coming the last couple of years and, like, in Australia that only last, like, year or two. Obviously, they went to the Com Games two years ago, I think, or whatever it was. Um, but, like, up until now, it's, like, we haven't really had a super strong 3x3 presence either, I don't think. Um, and it is getting pushed now because it's, yeah, obviously all European countries have been involved for quite some time, but I hadn't had much experience at all. Did you find that 3x3 sort of made 
changes to your game or adjusted the way you approach the, the five-man game? I don't think I have played quite enough of 3x3 to have a huge significant impact, but I definitely think it helped with individual skill because obviously in the 3x3 game, it's like you're not running a full 24-second shot clock offense or anything like that. You've got a couple little quick hitter like offenses, but it's all like pretty much one-on-one, beat your own man. So I think definitely that aspect helped me in my 5 and 5 game. It will be super handy uh, to develop your skill set over the as time goes on because I've even noticed, particularly this WNBL season, Loz Mansfield and even Annalie Maley, when the clock's winding down, the offense is broken down, they're just able to find a way to get a shot off, like regardless of the level of defense and physicality, they're just able to create something out of nothing. And I think that's like a testament to 3x3. Yeah, definitely. I would I would completely agree. And obviously those two are extremely talented as well. But I think the 3x3 environment definitely helps that. Adding to that, you've also the vice captain of the team. <laughs> and there's, there's a whole different approach that goes with being part of the leadership of a team. How's, how have you approached that? Because it created a shift in the way you approach the game? Yes and no. Uh, I actually was fortunate enough to be captain of the of my college, University of Hawaii, the last couple of years I was there as well. So kind of had a little bit of experience in that aspect, obviously not at a professional level. But I think in terms of my game, I don't approach the game super differently, but just kind of one thing in the back of my head is just like knowing that I have a team kind of looking at me to follow and to like set an example and stuff like that just motivates me more to like work harder, make sure I'm doing all the right things all the time, like setting a great example for those younger girls coming through. Cause I kind of always have been very much a lead by example kind of leader or not always the most vocal. I think that's something I've definitely worked on this year. Um, I've had to step up just with Sherfy and Sammy both leaving. They were both our two like kind of huge talking voices last year on the team and trying to fill that void a little bit has helped me expand my game in those areas definitely but yeah i have a great bunch of girls that makes it very easy so do you have you ever found yourself in a situation where you know as as the as the vice captain you've wanted to say something then sort of held back a little bit just to let see how things develop or have you not been in that sort of a situation yes and no i think emotions are very high in sports sometimes and I think everyone that is involved and has participated at any level kind of understands that. So I think even I think one through ten on the team is like everyone probably has those moments where in the moment you just want to yell or scream or say something that probably isn't as productive as it could be. Um, and I've definitely had my fair share of those games. I think after the Melbourne game at home um, where we just – our second half was horrible – I was super frustrated and did just want to yell, but didn't (laughs) because yeah, I mean, in those moments, it's important to remember that like nobody is going out there intentionally to do anything wrong. Like everyone, especially on our team, like we have a great bunch of girls try so hard, like the energy and effort is always there. Our execution just isn't always there. And that kind of stuff is stuff you go back to training and fix, or you, you talk about one-on-one and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely has been a few times where, you probably want. I probably want to say something and, and haven't, but I think that's just a part of sport. Okay. Amy, it's been great having you on the show. It's been great talking to you about all sorts of stuff and hearing from you 
you know, about some of your insights about, you know, the WNBA and college and, you know, the NBL one season. Really thankful for you to joining us. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been great talking to you guys. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get our latest pod. And we really appreciate if we could get a like and a review so we can extend the reach to more listeners. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn.